as we begin today, I'd like to introduce you to uh, three friends of mine. The first uh, friend is Tracy. Uh, Tracy uh, loves her husband, loves her two young sons. She's a Christ follower, and she has a problem. Her problem is that uh, she has a habit of negative talk and tearing people down with her tongue. Uh, it happens every time she goes out with a friend, and before you know it, she is uh, talking negatively about a friend who is not there. She knows it's gossip. She knows it's destructive. In fact, she's had lots of these conversations where she's had to go to people and apologize for gossiping about them. And she sees her two young sons and how they're growing up to be like her with a very sharp tongue and uh, negative and critical about other people in their lives. And she asks herself, what is it? Why do I have this inner desire to tear people down? And why can't I stop? Then there's a, another friend, uh, Arthur. Uh, Arthur has a great job, uh, earns a lot of money. I mean, he gets a ton of money, but it is not enough. Uh, because uh, Arthur, uh, well, he buys stuff. Uh, he's got a house here in Fairfield and in Vermont, and, in, and he's got his pools, he's got fountains, uh, he's got cars, cars that he drives and cars that he just collects. And he wants a boat. And well, Arthur buys and buys, but he doesn't ever get satisfaction. And he knows this compulsive buying is uh, destructive. Uh, now, he now has mortgages on his mortgages and his family is falling apart as a result of it. And he asks himself, why do I have this inner desire to keep spending and buying stuff? Why can't I stop? Last friend, it's you. You have struggles. It may not be the same as Tracy's or Arthur's, but you have struggles. And uh, if you look to your struggles and, uh, and you trace it, you can trace it back to an inner destructive desire you can't get beyond. Welcome back to this series we're calling Above and Beyond, where we are uh, hearing from God's word through the Apostle Paul, who is teaching us how a relationship with God above empowers me to go beyond what threatens to keep me down. And today we turn to Paul's letter to the Colossians, where he teaches how a personal relationship with God above empowers me with freedom, that takes me beyond the desires that hold me down. So now I'm going to read uh, from the third chapter of Paul's letter to the Colossians, uh, starting with verse 1. And I'm going to, as usual, read it in English, except for one word. One word I'm going to leave untranslated in Paul's original Greek. And stay tuned, I'll explain that in a bit. Paul writes this in Colossians 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things below. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature." sexual immorality, impurity, lust, epithumia, and greed, which is idolatry. 
Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. So Paul is contrasting two ways of living, a way that, of thriving and a way of living that is striving. He contrasts uh, having a mind focused on above things and contrast that to a mind focused on below things. Let's begin with the mindset on above things. Let's start with what it does not mean. When Paul says, set your mind on above things, he's not telling me to uh, sit around all day dreaming about heaven and clouds and angels and harps. No. Paul explains what he means by this. He means that I should set my focus on what Jesus has done for me. Uh, by dying on the cross, by rising from the grave, by ascending to the Father. So setting my mind on above things means setting my focus on everything I have because of Jesus. What do I have because of Jesus? Well, it starts with the fact that I have a new identity. Who are you? I don't mean what's your name. I don't mean what do you do for a living. I mean, what is your identity? And you may say, well, I'm the child of so-and-so. I'm the uh, spouse of so-and-so. I'm an American. I'm a, I'm a New Englander. The list could go on and on because as those who study the science of identity will tell us, identity is not a single statement. It is a bunch of layers. Uh, your identity is layered like that famous Mediterranean dessert, baklava. Uh, if you look at a slice of baklava, you'll notice that it's all these paper-thin layers with sweetness in between. Little did you know that your identity is a delicious dessert, but it is. Uh, and there's a vocation layer, there's a family layer, there's an ethnicity layer, and of course, if you follow Jesus, somewhere in the pile, there is your identity as a Christ follower, and that is the problem. I will never live above and beyond my enslaving desires with Jesus buried at the bottom of my identity baklava. Tracy can't get beyond her destructive desire for gossip because her identity in Christ is buried beneath her identity as a wife, as a mother, and as a member of the PTA. Arthur he can't get beyond his destructive desire for spending because his identity in Christ is buried under his identity as an investment banker, as a Democrat, and as a diehard fan of the Mets. I will never overcome my destructive desires unless my identity has a first layer, which is my identity in Christ. I will never find that freedom unless my identity is my identity in Christ. Paul says it best when he says, uh, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Can you say and mean Christ is my life? If you can say Christ is my life, that means that your first layer of your identity is that you are a follower of Jesus. And if that is true, then all the glorious things appear out of everything you have in him. 
I have God's infinite love upon me. I have God's unconditional acceptance over me. I have the power of God's spirit indwelling me. I have the presence of Jesus walking with me. I have the peace of Jesus giving me confidence. I have the joy of Jesus giving me contentment. I have the wisdom of Jesus giving me guidance. If I, I have the assurance of eternal life with God. I have a forever friendship with God that is eternally forever secure. I have everything in Christ when Christ is everything I have. When my identity's first layer is my identity as a beloved child of God in Jesus, I can thrive. Are you thriving? Are you thriving, really? If not, why not? I'll tell you why. If you're a Christ follower and you're not thriving, it's because, like Tracy, like Arthur, like me sometimes, you focus uh, on below things. You lose focus on the above things and you focus on the below things. That's what Paul describes, the mindset on below things. The mindset on above things is a thriving focus on what I have in Christ. The, uh, the mindset focused on below things is a striving focus on what I selfishly desire. And Paul calls me away from that striving when he says, put to death. See, in order to make Christ my life, I need to put some other things to death. He says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. What's that? He then goes on to describe those below things as sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Now, there's something very interesting about these five terms. They're all terms of desire. Desire. Now, this isn't going to be pretty uh, because uh, the Bible tells it like it is. And so we're just going to go into this honest but ugly kind of look at these five destructive desires, beginning with sexual immorality, which is Paul's simple reference to the destructive desire which leads me to sex outside of a marriage commitment. And I think we'd all agree that uh, if I'm a married person and I have a sexual relationship with someone who is not my spouse, I think we'd all agree that that person is going below God's will and desire. But the uncomfortable truth is that to God, this equally applies to single people. If I'm single and I'm sexually involved with a person I am not married to, or I am not married to yet, I am following a desire that is below God's will and God's excellent plan and of blessing for me. There is no condemnation here at all. We're just talking about God and his desire for the very best for you. And for me, God wants to lead me into a marriage relationship of maximum blessing, into a a life filled with many other relationships of maximum blessing. But being sexually active as a single can interrupt God's plan of blessing because it deafens me. It can deafen me to God's voice in my life. It can blind me to God's leading in my life, and I end up in a place that is below God's will and plan of blessing for the best for me. But I can go beyond these blinding desires if I focus on above things. As I focus on God's God the Father's love for me, the life transformation that comes through the Son, that the empowerment that comes from God's indwelling spirit, I am set free 
to be true to God, true to my spouse, and true to my future spouse, should God so lead. The next word is impurity. And Paul uses this word impurity to refer to destructive desires that come from my impure motives. An example of an impurity would be a a desire for revenge against someone who has hurt me. Another another, uh, example of an impurity is gossip. Tracy can go beyond this habit of gossip, but the only way she can go beyond this habit of gossip is to go above, to go above to her relationship with Jesus. And in that relationship, as she finds her identity and her first layer of her identity in Jesus, she can go beyond that that gossip habit by focusing on everything she has in Christ. And as she focuses on how she is a loved child of God through Jesus, this builds her up so much that she doesn't need to tear people down anymore. You have impure motives too. And you can find freedom. Freedom from those impure motives as you focus on those things above. And you will be set free from those desires that hold you down. Next comes the destructive desire category that Paul calls lust. Lust is not love. Love is unselfish giving to another person. Lust is a selfish take take from another person. Uh, Lust is that destructive desire that creates Harvey Weinstein's. Lust creates men who take advantage of women and take what they want. Lust also creates women who become experts at manipulating men through flirtation and come-ons to take what they want. And I pray that all the talk in the media about the ugliness of lust in the workplace, I pray that it is not lost on the men and women of God here at BlackRock. God is calling us as his people to something so much above and beyond simple common decency in the workplace. We work and go to school with men and women in close quarters. And in those places, God is calling his people to go above and beyond to a true love for each other that gives, doesn't take, which means no inappropriate joking, no dirty talk, no winks, no compromising situations, no suggestive touches, no flirting, no lust. You represent Jesus. And so if you have a struggle here, folks, and some of us do, right? If you have a struggle here, don't bury it. Don't try to hide it. Go to Christ by going to one of his followers, a friend, a pastor, sit down with a prayer partner or a trusted counselor and get help to go above and beyond where you belong as a follower of Jesus. But there's also a lust, you know, that is not sexual in nature at all. Uh, Lust is a destructive desire to take from other people, uh, which means that uh, it's lust that is lead some people to desire to manipulate approval or extract attention from people. And that can be just as a destructive form of lust to my soul and to my relationships as uh, the sexual form. But there is a way beyond lust. 
I go beyond when I focus on the affection that I have in Christ, the amazing uh, love and approval from, from God in my relationship with, with him. That's what I have, and that can set me free from the destructive desire to try to take affection from people below. The next term in Paul's list might appear in your uh, English Bibles as evil desires. Uh, but this is a case where going to Paul's original Greek word is better. Uh, it's the Greek word epithumia. And epithumia by itself does not mean evil desires. By itself, epithumia means excess desire or over desire. And it refers to a category of desires that end up being evil because they're an over-desire for something good. For instance, work is good. Food is good. Wine is good. But an epithumia for work makes me a workaholic. Epithumia for food makes me a glutton. Epithumia for wine makes me an alcoholic. More than any other word in this list, the word epithumia demonstrates the poisoning effect of what Paul calls a below mindset on earthly desires. I can ruin anything good in my life through epithumia, through over-desire, through a focus uh, with an earthly desire. Epithumia can ruin anything good, even the best things in life. Being a parent is good. Having a child is good. But when I make my child the focus of my earthly desires, I become overbearing, overreaching, and an obsessive parent, which is bad for me, not good. Bad for my child, not good. But I can go beyond epithumia. I go beyond when I set my focus on things above and I receive the love of the Father, the life-transforming presence of the Son and the empowerment of His Holy Spirit. I am set free from the desires that ruin the best things in my life. Finally, there's greed. Greed is the destructive desire for more and more money, more and more possessions. Just like we said under epithumia, money is good. Possessions are good. Houses are good. But when the desire is for more and more houses and more and more possessions and more and more money, I get enslaved by greed. Far from satisfying the inner need, the need just gets bigger and I end up being possessed by my possessions. Not only is uh, Tolkien's trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, a literary masterpiece, but there's also some very profound truths uh, that I believe uh, Tolkien has in mind in terms of reflecting what God is communicating to us today. Uh, you know, the storyline starts with a ring. It's a golden ring of power. The ring itself is not evil, but the desire that it inspires is so intense that it brings out evil actions and desires from those who long for it. The ring was lost for ages uh, until one day when a man named Smeagol is with his best friend in a boat on a shallow stream. And his, uh, Smeagol's best friend sees the ring on the stream bed and gets it. And when Smeagol sees that ring in his best friend's hand, the ring's power uh, works its, uh, its domination over Smeagol's soul such that he so desires this ring that he kills his best friend in order to have it. 
And then he takes this ring into the mountains away from society so he can be with this ring and desire the ring. He calls, my precious, my precious. And Tolkien describes this uh, process by which Smeagol uh, and his desire for the, his, this ring has a strangling effect on him and a starving effect on him and a shriveling effect on Smeagol such that he becomes Gollum. And Tolkien's story of how Smeagol is transformed into Gollum is a reflection of the truth that God is communicating to us today. God is communicating a life-giving lesson to me if I will just listen. God is teaching that what shrivels me, what starves me, what enslaves me in my soul are my earthly desires my destructive desires, my desires for below things that keep me down and hold me back. But I can be free. I can go beyond the desires that hold me down if I go above to my relationship with Christ. In Jesus, there is freedom. Tracy. Tracy, honestly, she's one of the most negative people uh, I've ever known. Uh, not only did she tear down her friends through gossip, but uh, she also tear down this church. She, she d- tore down the pastor uh, with her complaining. And uh, at the beginning, uh, Tracy had just enough uh, kind of Bible knowledge to be dr- dangerous. And uh, once she came to me and said that uh, I should be grateful for all the complaints that she brings to me. And I said, Why? And she said, because God has given me the spiritual gift of criticism. (laughs) And I said, I know the Bible. There is no spiritual gift of criticism. But there is a gift of encouragement. And I encourage you to refocus on above things. And you know what? Tracy did. Not because I told her to, because of the allure of Christ himself. She became so much aware of her identity in Christ, that her identity in Christ became her first layer. And in that process, she so experienced the esteem of the Father for her that she was so built up, she didn't need to tear people down anymore. And she became one of the most positive, life-giving people I've ever met. Uh, Arthur uh, here he had that shriveling, shrinking effect uh, of greed that Gollum experienced. And uh, uh, yet, at one point, he refocused to things above. And in that process of refocusing on uh, Jesus and making Jesus the first layer of his identity, uh, he heard God speak to him in a sense that God gave him the impression that explained to him why he bought stuff. And all his spending came from, he discovered, an unmet desire for his earthly father's approval. So I said, every house he bought was a declaration. Dad, I am somebody. Because when he was young, Arthur's dad told him he was a nobody, that he was a failure, that he was worthless. And so every car Arthur bought was a declaration. Dad, I am worthwhile. But then in the process of of coming to Jesus and understanding of that relationship with him, He heard God speaking to him, Arthur, you don't need to prove anything to me. You just need to accept 
my proof in the cross that you are worth dying for. He said to Arthur, Arthur, you don't need to buy anything. I've already bought you with my own blood. You are my son, and I approve of you. And just like Tracy was set free from gossip, Arthur was set free from that greed. Tracy was set free. Arthur was set free. How about you? Are you free? Are you thriving in life? Or are you enslaved by desires, destructive desires, and you don't know how to make them stop? You can go beyond by going above. You can be set free. Set free. And you know, baptism, that's the, that's the sign that Jesus gave us to declare that Christ is my life. And there is great freedom in that. And if you've never been baptized uh, as an adult, why don't you leave right this room, go to that uh, uh, class that takes about 15 minutes to just introduce you for baptism on November 19th. But all of us could take this next step of freedom. Would you please stand and let's sing about that freedom now. We want to thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online. And we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church. Know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app, and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.